Middle of the country, but not middle of the road opinions. It's the podcast dedicated to sports in the air capital of the world. I'm going to Wichita. Wichita, Kansas, and beyond. With Tommy Castor, Weston Mills, and Blake Cripps. This is Keeper of the Games. Yes, it is true. We are back for another episode of Keeper of the Games, and I am rightfully in my host chair, the host position, the throne of hosting Keeper of the Games. We are the wildly underqualified yet mildly entertaining podcast that is all about sports in the air capital of Wichita, Kansas and beyond. I'm Tommy Caster, back by popular demand in the host chair. <laughs> along, along with me are my guys, as always, Weston Mills and Hot Take Blake Cripps here on the program for this exciting episode of Keeper of the Games. As we lead up to Super Bowl 55, we're going to get into that and a whole lot more in just a few minutes here on this brand new episode. But uh, guys, how are things going? Do you guys have a a good weekend, a good week so far? You know, I'm going to ignore that question because uh, I was thinking before (laughs) before we started on this podcast, you know, I think it's interesting that, you know, you guys kind of both have that technical expert expertise in the, I don't know, podcast, broadcasting world, what, whatever you want to call it, as you guys have played back and forth with with host and we purposefully avoid me hosting, if at all possible. But I was thinking, you know, as you guys kind of have that technical expertise, you know, I guess in your traditional sports talk show, you know, way that kind of make me like the, the dumb jock, right? But then at the same time, I was thinking, shoot, I'm not even a jock anymore. I'm 31. I'm a dad. I'm just, I guess I'm just dumb. I'm just here. I don't know what I'm, what I'm bringing <laughs> to the table. So I may have to ratchet up the take, the takes and see if I can't uh, steal that some thunder from Blake, I think. Well, no, you're, you're here to bring the ladies to the show with the video. You're the reason why we're on YouTube because it's certainly not for Tommy and I. Uh, I'm excited for the new <laughs> microphone that I just bought. So I feel like I'm an adult podcaster now. I will promise the viewers, though, I will never upgrade the video unless we get a sponsorship and free product. I would never subject you to that. I have too much respect for you. And in terms of you being the host again, popular demand. How many people did you pull? Like four, like your wife and your dogs at home. That's it. But when it comes, when it comes to you hosting, no, nobody circles the wagons for hosting a podcast like Tommy Caster. (laughs) That's a fantastic Chris Berman impression. And uh, that's the last time I ever want to hear a Chris Berman impression ever on this program. And Weston, I just have to tell you, I am, I'm glad that when you refer to yourself as a dumb jock, and then you basically said you're not a jock anymore, that you did keep the word dumb in there. Um, <laughs> hey, I, I, I appreciate that greatly. Self-awareness is a key attribute of mine, I would have to say. Better to be Absolutely. self-deprecating than self-defecating. <laughs> Agreed. That's always a good rule of thumb to live by for sure. We want to remind you to hit subscribe. So whenever we have a brand new episode of the podcast, you will get a notification. Of course, you can listen on all streaming platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, uh, basically all the major streaming platforms. You can find us there. Of course, you can also go to our website, cogsports.com, watch full episodes on YouTube and Facebook by searching for Keeper of the Games. By the way, if you're watching this new episode, you'll notice our brand new video uh, production quality here on the program. Hopefully you appreciate that a little bit uh, if you're watching the episodes. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at COGPOD. That's at K-O-G-POD. 
Fellas, I have been waiting to talk about this for a long time. We are merely days away from Super Bowl 55, Super Bowl LV in Tampa Bay. It's the Chiefs and the Buccaneers. And guys, you know, it has been the mantra of this Kansas City Chiefs squad ever since they hoisted the Lombardi Trophy back in February. Hashtag run it back. And they have accomplished those goals as the season has gone on. It hasn't always been easy. It hasn't always been pretty. The Lamar Hunt Trophy is back in Kansas City again, and now they're going for a back-to-back Super Bowl championship. So, so much to get to as we preview this game on Sunday afternoon. But first things first, how are you guys feeling? And Weston, I'll start with you. How are you feeling just like three days away from Super Bowl 55 and the, the prospects of a Chiefs championship? Man, I'm I'm glad you asked that question because I've actually been thinking about that a lot this week, and and I don't, I certainly don't want to. As we're, you know, like you said, three days away from from Super Bowl festivities, I don't want to be a downer. But it, this year feels so much different to me, and I, and I think obviously, you know, COVID kind of just dis maybe disconnecting the fans a little bit. I I haven't been to Arrowhead this season. I know a lot of fans aren't able to make it to Arrowhead. You know, there aren't last year at this time I was, you know, down at union station for a rally or, you know, strolling through the plaza to see all the flags that were up, um, you know, taking in all that content. And I think also this year being the second time, right. It's, it's just a kind of a different feeling as last year, I would in my whole life as a Chiefs fan to, to even get to the Super Bowl, let alone win it. So those emotions were just through the roof and I just feel so much more uh, mellow. And I don't know, I mean, less excited is, is the word. And I don't, I'm not say that to say that, you know, come kickoff, I'm not going to be every bit as excited or, or don't want this team to win just as much, but it, it truly just does feel different this year. And I, and I think that's interesting. Um, you know, and, and the other thing I'll add b- before you jump in is, can you imagine if the chiefs first Super Bowl appearance would have been this year? I was telling my wife, I think I truly would have been, maybe depressed even if if that first Super Bowl run for the Chiefs after waiting so long comes in a year when, you know, you can't gather with everyone. You can't go down to, you know, I went down to Power and Light, watched games last year, you know, you and just, I don't know, it kind of takes a little bit out of the air, I think. So I, I definitely would be curious to hear, you know, kind of how you guys are feeling leading up to to number trip number two to, to the Super Bowl. Uh, it, it, there's so much less pressure this year on everybody on the franchise on the players you know we we were talking you know one radio guy that i've been talking to you know chris allison i mean he had been waiting for his entire life the chiefs had never been to the super bowl in his entire lifetime and he's he's older than i am god bless you ca but he's older than i am and we talked last week about how the chiefs in the last three years have won more than the combined 35 38 years combined so i think for everybody Right now, we have an appreciation of where we've been, all the times that our hearts have gotten ripped out, run over, chewed up, and spit out by a whole myriad of teams like the Colts, like the Bills, like the Broncos, like the Titans, and it's happened so many times. There's been so many ways, so many impossibilities that have come out. Oh, well, surely they're not going to blow this game against the Colts. Well, no, actually they will. Oh, well, surely they'll stop Peyton Manning once at Arrowhead. I'll just get once. No, no, they won't actually. Well, surely they won't lose on a quarterback throwing a touchdown to himself. No, actually those things all actually happened. So for Patrick Mahomes to come in, 
with Andy Reid for them to both get the huge gorillas off the back for Andy Reid, finally a Super Bowl championship as a head coach, and for Kansas City, three decades of playoff futility to get those just taken off. Now the guys can really just go play. And all the pressure on the Chiefs, I think, is self-inflicted. It's not pressure to do something that hasn't been done in so long. Right now, they just have the pressure to be great. They want to elevate themselves from not just a great team, but start to transition into dynasty, start to transition into franchise. I think the Chiefs have been a great franchise. You just look at the record since Andy Reid has been here. But now they're playing for more. They want to start playing for history. They want to see if they can maybe build this thing. Maybe they can be a Patriots or a Steelers or a Cowboys, teams that have put together, stacked a lot of Lombardi trophies in a short amount of time. And so for me personally, Tommy, I'm I'm excited. Uh, of course, it's not like last year. This year, I'm just excited to see what's going to happen. Excited. If we lose, sure, it will be a long road back, but it won't be the end of the world. Last year, if we lost, it would have just ripped my chest open. This year, at least I've still got 20, 20 that I can look back on. And we'll always have that. We'll always have that. This year, it's just more uh, anticipation rather last year, uh, rather than last year, which was just pure nerves going into this game, hoping that we did not choke again. You know, if if you guys and I'm not suggesting that this is what what you're saying, but if you guys or anybody out there thinks that there isn't anything for this Chiefs team to play for, you're you're grossly mistaken. I mean, there is so there is so much for this team to play for. Now, I do recognize and I do understand that thought of it's not like the first. It's not as nerve wracking as, as the first. I've had this kind of eerie sense of calm uh, this week, uh, and I don't think it has anything to do with the, the the COVID issue. I don't think it has anything to do with anything like that. I just literally think it's because kind of like what you said, Blake, the gorilla is off the back. You know, it's like that entire week leading up to to the Super Bowl last year. I did. I didn't sleep well. You know, I was. <laughs> I was constantly thinking about it. I was researching left and right. I was I was overthinking what we were going to be getting ourselves into against the 49ers. This time around, I'm I'm relatively calm about it, uh, but I'm also incredibly excited about the opportunity that this team has in front of them. And I'm also really excited about the fact that Kansas City gets a chance to go back to back in the Super Bowl and the last team to do that was the Tom Brady-led Patriots, and that's who we're playing in this game on Sunday. There are so many different storylines that we can talk about, that we can get to, that we can discuss on this preview. But the first thing I want to get to, before we even talk about Mahomes versus Brady and the goat versus the baby goat and the 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 the, the, the present versus the future, before we get into talking about any of that, I just want to know straight up game plan. What can we expect from this Chiefs team out of the gate throughout the game against the Buccaneers on Sunday as things move forward? Are we going to see the traditional Chiefs powerful offense? How how are things going to sort of line themselves out as we kick off on Sunday? Blake, I'll start with you. What are your thoughts on how the game plan will evolve for Kansas City? Uh, that's not going to evolve. The Chiefs are going to pass the football. You look at what the Tampa Bay Buccaneers do really, really well. They are a fantastic rush-stopping defense. They're number one against the run. 
They're fantastic against the run. They're number one against the run in basically every statistical category that a defense can be ranked number one against the run. So for me, the Chiefs are not going to play into the Tampa Bay's strength. They're going to pass the football. Tampa Bay gave up 100-plus rushing yards only three times during the year, once during the playoffs, and that was only by, I think, four yards. They gave up 104 yards on the ground against the Saints. They're 21st against the pass. They have the fewest touchdowns allowed. They have the fewest rushing yards allowed, the fewest yards per attempt allowed. And, by the way, Tampa Bay, remember last week, they gave up 314 passing yards with three touchdowns to Aaron Rodgers. I think that Patrick Mahomes is salivating. He hit Tyreek Hill in the first matchup between these two teams as Kansas City jumped out to what was like a 17-0 lead in Week 10 or 12, whatever they played earlier this year. I think Tyreek Hill is going to be – uh, a big factor for the Chiefs. I think that like we've seen in the last few weeks, Travis Kelsey is going to have a monster day. Patrick Mahomes, Eric Bieniemy, and Andy Reid are going to throw the football and make Tampa Bay prove that they can stop the pass and then hopefully use the run, maybe use end arounds, jet sweeps with Clyde Edwards-Helaire or Sammy Watkins, uh, McColl, some of those other guys on the outside to open up. And, and you want to keep the Buccaneers honest, but uh, I don't think they're going to be doing anything crazy. They're going to throw the football and make the Tampa Bay corners make plays to win this game. Yeah, I mean, I, d- I definitely do not disagree with that. I mean, Pat threw the ball 49 times in, in the previous game. I mean, you're going to see every bit of that number, if not more, as, you know, I, I fully expect this to be a pretty high-flying game. And, I you know, I think that's just going to create more opportunity for, for passing attempts for both teams kind of feeling like they have to keep up with each other. Uh, you know, I think the question here if you kind of get into specifics of, of how, you know, how we go about throwing the football and what do we do? I mean, one thing, you know, expect the unexpected with Andy Reed. I mean, you, anytime he's already faced a team, he's got two weeks off. I mean, you can go ahead and bet that, that he's got a few, it's not so much trick plays, just, you know, creative play designs. And, and frankly, maybe, maybe some trick plays, but you know, he just has a lot of creative, creative uh, play designs and particularly thinking of Tyree kill. If we remember in the original or that first matchup against the bucks, he had 13 catches for 269 yards and three touchdowns, which is just bonkers Madden type numbers. And if you remember, he was lined up a lot against, um, uh, Davis and I'm drawing a blank on his first name, uh, for Tampa Carlton Davis. He was lined up across from Carlton Davis quite a bit that day. And and frankly, that there wasn't a lot of creativity. He just flat out beat that boy with his speed. I mean, it was really nothing to it more, you know, more than that. I don't think, and if, if you remember how that game played out that first half, I think Tyreek had, he had 200 and something in that first half. And then really nothing in the second half. And, well, and I think there's maybe he went for like 75 and 44 yeah. just in the first quarter. Yep. 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 That's right. I remember that. And then, so I think the question here is what do the bucks do? Right? So was that second half, did they make an appropriate just adjustment to slow down Tyreek Hill or, you know, the chiefs were up pretty good at halftime. Uh, I think the score, the, I don't think the score was 20 to seven and a half. Did they kind of take, take the foot off the throttle a little bit, not utilize Tyreek like they should. And they still think they have those same opportunities. I think it's a little bit of both. I, I absolutely expect the Buccaneers to come out and 
and do everything they can to say you're not going to have Tyreek Hill. Carlton Davis is is going to have him, and we're gonna we're gonna have somebody over the top. I mean, if you remember watching that game, it, it, the and I can't remember. I don't remember if Romo called that game. I think Romo did call that game because he actually predicted yeah. that they would be back in the Super Bowl. Romo was breaking down even you know how a lot of times or most times even anybody who faces Tyreek Hill they'll you know they'll have a corner and they'll always have a single high safety over the top of him always you can't you just can't let him have that kind of of leverage over the top so I think they'll absolutely do that because they didn't do it in the first game even though it is not typical of the Bucks defense to to play in, in that manner which then obviously uh, Travis Kelsey has feasted off that right so I almost even I I kind of suspect that I would not be surprised if the Buccaneers you know bracket Travis Kelsey, which that's essentially designating four defenders to two guys. I think every bit of that's what they're going to do and say, "Go beat us with Sammy Watkins if he can stay healthy. Go beat us with Demarcus Robinson. Use Clyde Edwards to layer out of the backfield." I think you're going to see a lot of creativity. Um, and a lot of different guys get involved. I absolutely expect to see Byron Pringle have a couple catches. I expect Marcus Robin to have a couple catches. I think they'll. I think you'll see um, for sure some catches out of the backfield from Clyde Edward Hilaire and Le'Veon Bell because and maybe you know and Daryl Williams too. You're not throwing him the ball a ton, but you know I expect to see that. And then on the flip side, Andy Reid is not going to let Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey just you know you know, be double coverage and not get them the ball. I guarantee you he's already game planning for that and has some creative ways. Maybe you see Tyreek Hill on some jet sweeps. Maybe you see him move over to the slot and work the middle more so than what you'd have in the past while you have, you know, maybe even have splitting uh, Travis Kelsey out wide just to create different looks, different matchups, make that defense adjust to the different things you're doing. And Andy Reid is a master at that. So I think – well, on the surface, you know, I'll, I'll go back to Blake's answer of, you know, you're not going to see the game plan change at all. You're right. I mean, they're going to throw the ball, but it's going to look very different in how they do it. So I, I'm excited. I think that's probably what I'm most excited to see is the creativity of Andy Reid and how they go about getting Tyree Kill, Travis Kelsey, the ball in, in different ways, as I'm certainly expecting, you know, the Buccaneers to take away the, the Chiefs' two best offense to the best that they can. You know, I really think going into this game that that we could be looking at a, a big time breakout performance in the Super Bowl from Clyde Edwards Elaire. Now, I know that Tampa Bay has a top rated rush defense in the National Football League, but no one in the NFL has allowed more completions to running backs than the Buccaneers. They they yielded 101 receptions to running backs last season. This this season, so. I think that we're going to see Clyde Edwards Elaire be incredibly involved in the passing game out of the backfield. That's one of the areas that I know Chiefs Kingdom was so excited about Clyde Edwards Elaire when he was drafted out of LSU was that he's a pass catching running back. And we've seen flashes of that throughout the season. But I really think, especially if Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey are taken away or at least attempted to be taken away in this game. Yeah, you've got to look at guys like Sammy Watkins, Demarcus Robinson, if he can play, um, you know, McCole Hardman, uh, you know, Byron Pringle, but then even the guys out of the backfield as well. I think we'll see Daryl Williams continue, you know, to, to, to be given touches. And I don't know how effective he'll be up against Tampa Bay's rush defense, but I think that we're going to continue to see him. He's kind of been the hot hand, the, the favorable guy out of the backfield for Andy Reid over the the last couple of weeks in the playoffs. 
I think that'll continue too, and maybe is a nice change of pace uh, to, to complement that passing game from Patrick Mahomes. Speaking of the game plan, though, for Kansas City and, and Weston, you alluded to this a couple of moments ago, just about Andy Reid and about you know him getting that game plan ready to go. Andy was on the herd with Colin Cowherd. I think that's the first time I've ever referenced Colin Cowherd on this program. It will probably be the only time that I'll reference <laughs> Colin Cowherd uh, on this program. But Andy Reid was on the program, I believe, on Tuesday, and he talked a little bit about getting the game plan ready to go for the Super Bowl. Well, you know, it's an exciting atmosphere, and it, it's going to bring out the best in some guys, and other guys, they're going to have to warm up to it. So uh, I get that. Uh, we try to get in our get in our plays during the week before this week. So last week we got in the majority of the game plan and that way we can go back and we can review it and, and go through it again, one more rep on it and, and so on as we, as we work through, there's, there's a lot of media obligations this week, even not being in uh, Tampa. So uh, I'm glad we got, I'm glad we got the game plan in. The other thing I tell the coaches is don't tinker with it. Just let it go. Uh, you got it in, you put your best stuff in and, and let's roll with it. And, and uh, you start adding just what you're saying. You start adding things into these things can grow to a monster and then you can't go function. Yeah, so that's Andy Reid again on uh, The Herd with Colin Cowherd talking about that game plan for the Super Bowl. And, and I think it speaks to what the two of you guys ha- have been saying is that we're not going to see an involvement, you know, especially offensively from this Kansas City team. It's basically throw your best stuff in there. Now we got a game to go and win and don't tinker with it. Don't change it. Don't adjust it. This is the best that we've got to offer. Now we got to go out and execute. And you know, one of the questions and and Blake, I'll ask you this. One of the question marks that I had coming out of the Tampa Bay game back in week 10. And it's been a question mark that is sort of hung over the chiefs a little bit. We talked about it last week on the program somewhat is the, the, the chiefs tendency in some of these games to not, completely finished the deal. You look at the last time that the Chiefs faced Tom Brady and he led a a furious comeback in pretty much only the way that Tom Brady can came up just a little bit short. Uh, But that's something that you can't do in the Super Bowl because we know that Tom Brady is going to be performing at the top of his game. So your thoughts on what the Chiefs need to do to make sure that they continue to put the hammer down, as Mitch Holtis would say. Well, you hope, first of all, that the Chiefs are going to be healthy up front because the Chiefs do have two offensive linemen on the injury report, three if you count Eric Fisher, which, of course, we know that he's not going to play. He's done with that Achilles injury. And Tampa Bay has been one of the premier blitzers in the in the league this year. I mean, I, I looked up, I think that they are yeah, – they, they – are fifth in blitz percentage, top five in the league. So they blitz a higher percentage of time versus almost anybody else in the league. So I think for Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy, I think I said this a couple of weeks ago, they have done a much better job the second half of the season at being able to change gears. And even if what Weston says turns out to be true, that they defend Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey differently, which you would expect. You wouldn't expect them to come out with the exact same game plan that they ran back in the regular season, there's still going to be a halftime. And I don't think that there is anybody on the face of the earth coaching football that is better at halftime adjustments than Andy Reid. Nobody. And with Eric Bieniemy there and Patrick Mahomes, you know, even if they don't get off to the start offensively that they want, 
I think that they will be able to make an adjustment at halftime. We've seen them pull this off literally every single game, even the games that they lost, like the Raiders, you know, they, they had a good offensive game plan going in and they were able to make adjustments to be successful against Las Vegas. They just didn't play good enough defense to win that game. So I think it's going to be the adjustments that they make based on what Tampa Bay runs. If what the Chiefs go out and start doing, I don't know if they run a script to start the game like some teams do, or if they just you know call plays and and let it happen. But um, I think that those adjustments in the second half and at halftime are going to be really key for Kansas City. And like you said, it's not like the Chiefs have got to save anything in the playbook. They will unload everything here to win a back-to-back Super Bowl. Yeah, you know, and it'll be interesting too because you know, like you mentioned, the Bucks like to blitz, and and frankly, I I don't know what the numbers look like from the first matchup, but the Chiefs create a, an incredibly tough matchup for anyone to blitz at a high level. One, I mean, just because Patrick Mahomes, you know, does have the intelligence at quarterback to make the appropriate reads. I mean, that's a lot of times what you're doing with blitzing is that. Um, but secondly. They also have the the speed at the wide receiver and then, frankly, the tight end position, too, to get themselves open in a quick enough manner to to throw behind the blitz, right? So I think that's something that you're going to see. And, and that's why I kind of mentioned, you know, I, if they're going to blitz, they're going to have to be creative, right? Because you can't bracket Travis Kelsey, uh, keep a single high safety over the top of Tyreek and still blitz. So, and they will, there's no doubt. I mean, Blake's right. You, they're not going to just completely change their identity because of that. So it's picking and choosing those times for the Chiefs offense of when to strike, or I guess would be almost counter-strike, you know, against what Tampa Bay is doing. And, and obviously Pat's been one of the best since he's been in the league at recognizing that and adjusting so quickly. But, you know, the other thing I want to mention too, Tommy, kind of going back to, to what you had asked about finishing off. And, and you know, certainly I don't think uh, – well, I'm not going to turn this into a discussion about Tom Brady because we all know he can come back better than anybody in the history of this league. Um, but on the Chiefs side of things – you know, they have definitely evolved throughout the season. You know, I, I would say two things here. One, one being, you know what? They did finish teams. They they only lost two games all year, one which they were behind and, and the other one in which they had backups playing the whole game, right? So on that front, I would say they did finish games that you play to win the game, right? I mean, that's that's the famous saying. So that's that's all you got to do. But then secondly, too, and, and I understand really more where you're coming from is the the expectation or the the thought from fans that they let off the gas pedal a little bit. I think you've seen kind of a change from Andy Reid and whether that's purposeful or him adjusting to, you know, some of the criticism that was cast early in the season. I mean, just think back to two games ago when he called a fourth and one pass play with Chad, (laughs) you know, I mean, I think, but I do think that's what we're seeing, right? Like he's, he's starting to have faith and whether that's I'm ready now late in the season to do it or just coming around to it. He has faith in his guys to continue to throw that football or be aggressive, make aggressive play calls and get the thing done. And I I think that's going to go a long ways. And I think you have to do that against that aforementioned uh, Tom Brady, who absolutely, if you give him a window, he is. He's coming through it. So uh, it, that's going to be it's exciting. Incredible to see. how good he is playing at at this age. Absolutely insane how good he is playing right now. And it makes it makes the departure from New England look pure insanity. I mean, Bill Belichick has made his money based on the fact that he always gets it right when guys are past their prime. I don't think he got this one right, and Tom Brady's proven him wrong this year. 
Yeah, we're you know we're talking our our Super Bowl preview here on Keeper of the Games, and I want to get into the the Tom Brady Patrick Mahomes comparison and and what that will look like and the outcome of this game with them. And in a few minutes, we'll talk about that. Also, Andy Reid and his legacy on the coaching Mount Rushmore, and also a COVID update for the Super Bowl as well. But before we get into all of that, I want to talk about the defense for Kansas City a little bit and go back to Tom Brady and and Weston. I'll start with you on this. So in the regular season game. When Kansas City played Tampa Bay, Tom Brady was blitzed more, almost more times than any other game in the season. It was the third highest blitz rate that Brady faced in a game this season, including the playoffs. The Chiefs blitzed him on 45.2% of his dropbacks. And with those those plays, when the Chiefs were blitzing him, Brady was 11 of 19 with one touchdown and two interceptions and a 60.1 passer rating against the Blitz. He was much, much worse against the Chiefs and against the Blitz than he was when the Chiefs did not blitz. Do you anticipate that Steve Spagnola will try to drum up that same recipe again in the playoffs? Or do you think this is more of a situation where Kansas City is going to rely on their front four to get the job done? So Spags, it is in his blood. He can't not blitz. That's not an option for Spags. Spags. But but here's the thing. I absolutely expect that they're going to have to dial that back a little bit. And there's a few reasons for that. One, when when we saw the Bucs in week 12, Brady just truly did not have the continuity with his wide receivers that he has now. And that is – that's becomes even more important when teams blitz, right? Because Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, I mean, obviously being around Gronk, Gronk forever, Cameron Brait, uh, they have to be, they needed to be in sync with him as, as quick. You know, they need to know what their hot route is, where they need to break it down, where they need to drop and follow where that blitz is coming from. And you clearly saw in that game, the frustration from Tom Brady, that his wide receivers weren't where they were supposed to be. And there's no doubting that it's that the wide receivers weren't where they were supposed to be and not that Tom didn't make the right, right read. So you, I, the continuity between those, those group of guys has gotten a whole lot better. And then nextly, one thing to keep in mind nextly nextly yeah just let it go next Whoops. next secondly next secondly the other thing to consider i mean it's not getting any better hey dumb jock here um anyways <laughs> back to back to the second uh the second point i was trying to make antonio brown has now emerged i think Against the Chiefs, the first time was that Antonio Brown's first game with the Bucks. I, I want to say that it was. I think it so, wasn't yeah. his first. It was very, very early. Now he is on the he is on the uh, injured report, and he didn't play last week. But he'd been very good for them down the stretch, and he can kind of fill that slot role. Or he, I mean, they kind of move him around. He's very good. But will be a significant help to Tom Brady of beating the blitz. So. I think because of that, I think you'll see Spags dial the blitzing back a little bit. Again, it's his defense, and I think Spags is going to run what he always runs. I mean, he's going to blitz. Um, but I think the best thing you can do against Brady is get to him with your front four. His offensive line's been good, but it, you know they have. He's been he's been pressured unlike he probably has been ever with the Patriots. And then you know, secondly, they're just slowly able to get out of these cuts and breaks from the wide receiver. And, and so if, if you can confuse either the wide receivers from a, from a front standpoint, what you're putting out there, the reads that they have to make, you're probably not going to confuse Tom, but if you can change it up and try to confuse those receivers, 
from their reads, that's going to help cause that confusion. And, and I think that is, you know, just the other way that you slow down this offense other than getting uh, blitzing Tom Brady and bringing that pressure. So correction and retraction. The first game that he had played this year was against New Orleans. That was back on November 8th in that 38-3 to loss. But uh, to your point, you look at his production. He has scored a touchdown in four of the last five games. Yeah. Now, in the last game against the Saints, just one catch for 10 yards. But the previous four games had one touchdown against Washington. He went absolutely blew up the Falcons in in that 44-27 win with 11 catches, 138, had one touchdown against Detroit and one touchdown against the Falcons as they played the Falcons. They're really close in those games uh, in December and January. I think that the Chiefs are going to blitz, and here's why. You look at that game that the Chiefs played against Tom Brady, and you look at a stat that they call bad percentage. It's the percentage of poor throws per pass attempt, excluding spikes and throwaways. Tom Brady had a bad pass percentage of 29.3%. And that was that that I believe that that is directly, directly uh affected by the blitz. Tom Brady, when he was in New England, was one of the best passers against the blitz. That's about the only thing in his game that I think may have not made the trip down to Florida. He was pressured 21% of the time. He got hit six times, blitzed 18 times in this game. And I think that if the Chiefs still feel like the situation on the offensive line for Tampa Bay is one that they can get pressure on the quarterback, then I think that they will blitz. And I think it's good to blitz just to keep Tom Brady honest. I think that there's going to be some balance that, going back to what Weston said. I think that I think that they will throw change-ups at Tom Brady. I think they're going to try to show him different looks, uh, but but like like he said, there's never going to be a situation where the Chiefs can play their best defense and not blitz at all. Certainly not against an arm like Tom Brady. I think you've got to throw some changeups and curveballs at him and make him scan the field, make him move out of the pocket if you can, and make him be a little bit more of a mobile quarterback. So. For me, I think that the Chiefs are going to try to blitz in there. Don't know if it will be at the same percentage as last time, but I do think that they're going to try to get that bad throw percentage up again. If they can get that to 30%, I think the Chiefs are going to have a great opportunity to win this football game. You know, everybody always talks about how Tom Brady physically is still performing at an incredibly high level at the age of 43, which he he surely is. He truly is. But I think one area of his game that doesn't get talked about as much at this stage in his career is his mind and his mental focus, his mental game and, and where he's at right now. I mean, he's got a football IQ probably above anybody else in the league. And that's I think that's contributed to his longevity. And just the fact that knowing that if the Chiefs don't blitz or if any team don't you know they don't blitz against him that's going to give him time to be able to figure out exactly what the coverages are downfield so if you can disrupt that a little bit knowing that this guy is pretty much a genius under center i think blitzing him is going to have to be you know the way to go for Kansas City as much as they they often can you know throughout the course of this game the the, the next question that i have is related back to one of the storylines that happened last week and that was with Tony Romo he insinuated that this might be the most important game of Patrick Mahomes' career, and it's still pretty early in his career, but the most important one, as it relates to 
the all-time greats between him and Tom Brady, and that if Tom Brady wins the Super Bowl, it's going to be really difficult for Patrick Mahomes to catch him. And now he didn't make clear what that meant as far as catch him. Did that mean overall Super Bowl titles, or did that mean you know head-to-head matchups? He didn't really make that clear. But I want to get your thoughts on that. So Blake, I'll start with you. Is this the most important game for Patrick Mahomes in his young career? And then how do things stack up with this head-to-head matchup with Tom Brady as far as their legacy? are concerned. So part of the answer has to do with semantics and part of it has to do with context. First of all, the most important game that you're playing is the one that's going on that week unless you're not playing in it. Secondly, in in terms, I I think that it's important to understand what Tony Romo was trying to say. And, And like you said, that's a little bit open to interpretation. If you're trying to catch Tom Brady, I don't know if head-to-head matchups is that big of a deal. This isn't major championship tennis, okay? We don't look at, you know, like do we look do we downgrade Peyton Manning because he was not able to beat Tom Brady heads up? When you look at tennis majors, you are going to compare Roger Federer versus Rafael Nadal versus Nadal, uh, Novak Djokovic. That's a very important comparison because it's a singular sport. You play with nobody else on the court and how you did against the greats that are your contemporaries in any era of major championship tennis is a major consideration as to who is the best of all time. We happen to have the three best tennis players going right now. Last I checked, there are 21 other guys on the field besides the quarterback. So there's so much more that goes into football. I, For me, I don't think that the head-to-head matchup is that important to me because Tom Brady's not guarding – Patrick Mahomes and Patrick Mahomes is not trying to guard Tom Brady. They're going up against each other's defenses. Now, where it could be important in the context of the overall picture of who's going to be the greatest ever, when you're trying to win six or seven championships to get into that Tom Brady picture, every time that you are in the Super Bowl is a very big opportunity. Ask Dan Marino how easy it is to get to the Super Bowl. Not easy. So if you're planning on Patrick Mahomes to be in a situation where he can maybe win seven Super Bowls, that means he's got to get to seven first. And what's the chance that you think he's going to go Joe Montana and actually go undefeated in all these Super Bowls? I'm guessing that chance is pretty unlikely. So I know it's a long-winded answer, but you know it's important to understand the different factors that work here. It's, an, it's a team sport. Not an individual sport for me. Head-to-head matchups is not as big of a deal. This is not major championship tennis. It's not an individual sport. It's not a. It's not Usain Bolt at a 100-meter dash where you're racing against some other guy. It's a team sport. But at the same time, when you are trying to stack as many Lombardies and get into that upper echelon of the number one, you know, quarterback. We judge quarterbacks by rings. We always have, and we always will. So in that context, every time that you have a chance to win a Super Bowl when you're trying to get to six or seven is a monster opportunity. Tommy, sound the accurate take horn, because I'm I'm with Blake on this one. He all Wait, over yeah, the- where is that? Not- you're the host again. There. Thank you. Thank you. First, I appreciate first it. First ever accurate take horn, Blake. There you go, man. No, that's wrong. That's actually wrong. No, but I mean, I'm all in on that too. You know, I think, I do think there are some people who will certainly go, you know, let's say Pat and Tom end with the same number of Super Bowls at the end of their career. Someone may say, oh, well, you know, Pat could never beat Tom though. You know, that oh, never, gosh. which, but I, I am 100% with you on that, Blake of, you know, this is football. It's not, 
there's they're not guarding each other it's you know a full 21 other guys out there plus special teams you know for all that that can go wrong that can let the team down pat can throw for 550 yards and they can lose you know those are the kind of things that that analysis is just silly to me um the only my only my only tweak to your i don't know what what would you call that soliloquy is that am i soliloquy is that was that that long would that be uh anyways uh statement argument <laughs> soliloquy the, I, don't, I don't know you just called yourself dumb like five minutes ago are you are you smart <laughs> enough to be using a word with that many cues in it i had to make up for ne- <laughs> i had to make up for nextly i mean anyway. <laughs> um, the comparison to championship tennis i don't like only because i don't know how many people are football football fans are also watching championship tennis i don't know i think i think of the comparison more like like jordan jordan and magic yeah well i know there's one the one who made the comparison um this guy i think of i kind of think of this even just like jordan and magic johnson or or, or jordan and kobe where there just wasn't a lot of crossover. I mean, you're kind of getting the end of one career at the start of the beginning of the legacy of the next and in basketball, not quite the same because to that point, right. Those guys were actually guarding each other at at times. And you don't really get that with football, but um, I I think this is silly. I I think it is in the context of, Hey, we just got to get Pat has to get to that number of Super Bowls. I think that will be tough. Um, and, And adding one more for Tom would, would make it just that much tougher for, for Pat. You know, th- this is the rubber match, though, between these two guys. You know, that they're, they're two and two right now against each other. So Pat has beat Tom a couple of times. Tom has beat Pat. And the most, you know, the, the biggest game that Tom beat Pat in was the AFC Championship game two years ago when the Patriots went on to the Super Bowl and ended up getting Brady's sixth ring. So, yeah, I mean, there, there, there are clearly a lot of stakes in it as well. Um, but my argument against all of this is that I don't think you can just say, overall championships immediately makes you the greatest player of all time. Um, I think, I I think, I I think it helps, but I don't think that you can make the argument as saying this person won the most championships, you know, ipso facto, they are now the greatest player of all time. And the perfect example of that is if you look at the NBA, Bill Russell won more NBA championships than any other player. He won 11 championships with the Boston Celtics. Does anybody bring up Bill Russell's name as the greatest NBA player of all time? Maybe he's, they clearly, he's clearly up there. He's clearly one of the best to ever play the game. But people are always talking about Jordan, Kobe, LeBron, you know, even going back in time, you know, with other guys. But Bill Russell's name rarely comes up as the greatest NBA player to, you know, to, to suit up and, and play. Maybe it even should even though he won 11 championships. So I don't think that you can just arbitrarily make that argument saying Tom Brady, you know, potentially will win seven championships or whatever that number ends up being when he retires. And just because of that, that makes him the greatest. And if Pat doesn't catch the overall championships, then he's not the greatest. I just don't like that argument. I think that you have to look at individual performance each year. You have to look at the the, the entire body of work and championships plays into that. That somewhat, but try telling it to Patrick Mahomes that this isn't one of the most important games of his career. It's a Super Bowl game, so clearly it is. Right. Clearly it is. And, and here's a here's a stat for you guys to chew on a little bit. Did you know that since becoming the starter for the Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes is ten and zero when he has 
more two or more weeks to prepare for a game, including the postseason. He has never lost when he's had two or more weeks to prepare for a game. He's 10 and 0. That includes the postseason, which is phenomenal. How much? I mean, that goes back to Andy Reid, though, too. I mean, how many sure. times has always come back to Andy Reid never loses off of a bye week? So, I mean, he does get some benefit from having one of the best game planners. And, you know, adjust. I don't know how he does it, what Andy Reid has figured out that nobody else in the league knows how to handle their, their bye weeks. But, you know, he's proven back in Philadelphia and in Kansas City, you know, you give him a bye week, he's going to find figure out a way to win. So, Patrick is obviously the big beneficiary of that. And and that's a great tra- that's a great transition into the the next point that I wanted to make and that is how does Andy Reid's legacy shape up if he can get another Super Bowl win? On Sunday, we already know that he is in the top echelon of active head coaches in the NFL, probably in the top three, maybe top two with him and Bel Belichick. But how does his overall legacy look if he's able to get a second Super Bowl win? Weston, I know you were going to say something there. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, I was just going to say, you know, and I think so going back to the, you know, talking about having two weeks off and how Andy Reid's figured it out and then transitioning into this is the perfect topic for this. I I think Andy Reid is one of the best play callers in the history of this football game, uh, you know, of the game of football. Um, I think he's one of the the best game planners in the history of football, you know, so I, I think certainly when you look at the best coaches of all time, right, and, and it really if you just want to go by wins, um, you know, Andy Reid's sitting at six right now. Uh, he's got 221 career wins. He sits behind Don Shula, George Hallis, Bill Belichick, Tom Landry, and Curly Lambeau. So, you know, that's quite the quite the five in front of him. Um, I think he's got to be considered for the Mount Rushmore, right? But I mean, what what is your what is your criteria, right? Because if it's wins or it's Super Bowl, Andy Reid doesn't quite get in there based on that alone. Uh, with only one Super Bowl right now, now two, you're starting to add up. And as he's going to, you know, he'll he's sitting at two, 221 wins. Curly Lambo's at 226. He's going to pass Curly Lambo. There's no doubt about it. Um, probably has a very good shot at reaching Tom Landry at 250. Uh, then you're talking about Belichick at 280, but he's still active. So probably will be pretty hard for him to ever catch Belichick. Um, but, you know, that would put him, if he was to pass Lambeau and pass Landry, that would put him at four on career wins. And then if he gets this Super Bowl, that's sitting at two Super Bowls. I think you absolutely have to consider him as as one of the top four of all time. And then, like I said, something that you maybe can't quantify with a certain number is I just truly think he's one of the most creative uh, play callers in the history of this game. Uh, boy, I, I you, you might want to get your hot take horn ready. Um I don't have Andy Reid as a top five coach, even with the championship this year. Probably not even with the championship next year. Um, I can't put him ahead of. I can't put him ahead of Bill Belichick. I mean, if, of these guys I'm about to talk about, you're going to put him ahead of Bill Belichick because I'm not. Are you going to put him ahead of Vince Lombardi, five titles in seven years? I'm not. Are you going to put him ahead of Don Shula? I'm not. Not yet. Not yet. Um, I'm not going to put him ahead of George Hallis. I mean, we haven't even talked about Paul Brown. Hello. I mean, the Browns, people think that the Browns are just this dumpster fire garbage franchise. The Browns used to run the NFL back in the day. They ran the NFL. 
Okay. The Browns were a fantastic team. Uh, Bill Walsh, 49ers, Tom Landry, Cowboys. You know, there are so many guys. And we haven't even talked about Joe Gibbs of the Redskins, by the way. So there are so many guys who have stacked up incredible regular season records, incredible postseason records. Um, for me, the, you know, two regular season championships for Andy Reid. And, and believe me, I love the guy. I love the kid. Would, would not want to have anybody else as my coach in Kansas City. But there's he needs a lot more titles in order to get above some of these other guys that, that I have mentioned. Well, so very quickly before we get into our predictions for the game, uh, just a quick update as far as health is concerned for the Chiefs going into Sunday. So as far as practice is concerned, the only two players that did not practice on Wednesday, according to the Chiefs, were Willie Gay and Eric Fisher. We know Eric Fisher is going to be out with that Achilles injury, but uh, good news there from an injury front, it looks like a majority of the guys that had Health concerns will, you know, at least uh, it looks promising and favorable for them to suit up on Sunday against the Buccaneers. There was a COVID-19 scare at the beginning of the week for Kansas City, and it was related uh, to all things a barber that Kansas City hired to come in and give haircuts to the team. That barber tested positive. And the results came in like mid haircut for Daniel Kilgore um, and he basically finished the haircut and then Daniel Kilgore and Demarcus Robinson were both deemed close contacts. They've been put on the COVID-19 list. If they test negative for five consecutive days, those two guys can play in the game. Uh, clearly, Weston, you know, Daniel Kilgore is a reserve center. He did get some starting time when Austin Ryder was out earlier this season. But the bigger story here is Demarcus Robinson, especially, you know, as you were talking about what the Buccaneers might throw at, at Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill. Demarcus Robinson has typically been a guy that's been <clears throat> modestly targeted by Patrick Mahomes. And so potentially having him out due to being a close contact and being on the COVID-19 list, that could loom large for Kansas City. Yeah, you know, the other thing too is is with Sammy Watkins being, you know, he's been out and, and I think the expectation is he's going to play. But with the history we've seen with Sammy Watkins, you know, wouldn't be shocked if he plays and re-injures it, you know, in the first quarter. And I don't mean to knock Sammy Watkins, but that's just how it's gone for him, right? So uh, having DeMarcus out there. But I will say, and this is a nice little moment to talk about a K-State guy, even if DeMarcus Robinson can play in this game, I'm kind of suspecting that we might see more targets or action from Byron Pringle than Demarcus Robinson. As you've kind of seen the last couple weeks, Pat, to start to look to Byron Pringle, um, they've been getting the same number of snap counts. Uh, DeMar that is Demarcus Robinson and Byron Pringle. But it seems that Pat has kind of shifted his trust a little bit more and more towards Byron Pringle kind of as that you know third or fourth option as it goes on the offense. So I think that would be uh, the maybe, you know, the the way they would go if Demarcus Robinson would be out. Um, but either one of these guys, you don't want to lose depth right before the Super Bowl, but I don't think either one would be a significant loss if, if they weren't to have to sit. I'm a little bit more concerned about offensive line. The Chiefs did have two guys on the offensive line. We talked about them earlier. I don't know if I mentioned them by name, but Andrew Wiley and Mike Remmers with an ankle and a groin, they were full goes at practice earlier this week. So, you know, with Eric Fisher already out and the offensive line already a little bit out of sorts with Kilgore, you know, 
questionable for the game. I think that you know, I, I'm more concerned about the offensive line depth and making sure that Remmers and Wiley are both good to go because Remmers is supposedly going to be one of the guys that may may swap over to left tackle this week for that game. And he could be uh, matched up with Jason Pierre-Paul. Of course, Jason Pierre-Paul for uh, Tampa Bay, one of the outside linebackers, was widely expected to play but did not participate in the first injury report for practice this week out with a knee injury. So that could be a big loss for Tampa Bay too. Well, fellas, this is where we put our pedal to the metal. It's time for predictions for Super Bowl 55 on Sunday. Kansas City and Tampa Bay. Blake, I will start with you. Predictions for the big game. Chiefs. Plus four, they will win the game by forcing a turnover on Tampa Bay's final possession. I expect a game in the mid-30s, low to mid-30s, 34-30, 36-32, something in that range. Chiefs win by four, and they get a big turnover late in the game. And if it happens to be Dirty Dan, um, you know, somebody should buy me a steak. Weston, your predictions. Yeah, I I hate to do this. Uh, I I mean, just predicting the game in general because, God, it makes me nervous to do that when it comes to the Super Bowl. I know we've been doing it all all year, but uh, I think you're going to see Tampa Bay, actually, as I talked about, you know, stopping Tom Brady. I think you're going to see them run the ball a lot. Um, They, if you remember, Ronald Jones had a big game for uh, the first time they played, and then Leonard Fournette um, has really come on as late. So I think they're going to run the ball a lot, but I think it's going to continue to be high scoring, though. Um, I'm thinking 38 35, and I think you're going to see a pretty big day out of Pat and maybe more spread out the numbers of, of who's catching what kind of all over the place. I think, like you mentioned, Tommy, I'm all in on, on seeing a lot of running back, you know, running backs out of the backfield. I think, like I mentioned, you're going to see some Byron Pringle, some Demarcus Robinson, Sammy Watkins if he's healthy. And then, of course, you're not just completely shutting out. Travis Kelsey and Tyree kill. That just doesn't happen. So I think the ball is going to be spread around. I think it's going to be close. I think there's going to be a lot of points. I love the prediction of dirty Dan making a big play because that's what dirty Dan does. Uh, so that there it is right. There's kind of how I see it going in 38, 35 Patrick Mahomes. This is not, not, not crazy, but Patrick Mahomes, the uh, Super Bowl MVP. All right, so my prediction uh, for Super Bowl 55 uh, is probably a little bit more wishful thinking, I think, than maybe what realistically will happen. But, um, you know, hey, from my lips to God's ears, right? I'm going to say Chiefs win by 10, final score 38-28. Now, do I really think the margin is going to be that much? Probably not. The reason why it's wishful thinking, why I'm saying 38-28 is because the last thing that I want and the last thing that any Chiefs fan should want is Tampa Bay and Tom Brady getting the ball back with under two minutes to go down one score or less. That is just the absolute last thing. Now, Blake, I know that you're saying that Dirty Dan is going to make a turnover on Tampa Bay's final possession, but that just... Like I'm having a coronary just thinking about that potentially happening. So for 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 my own well-being, my own safety and health, I'm going to say Chiefs win by 10, final score 38 to 28. Any rebuttals on any of that? Chiefs yeah, are top four in the league in interceptions. Hold on. I, I've got I've got a question for you guys because so let's say that it was the Chiefs or, or Bucks in the Super Bowl against a different team. Do you think that other hypothetical other fan base would rather see Tom Brady with the ball against their team with one minute left or 
Patrick Mahomes with the ball with one minute left. And right now, at this point in their career, with their squads, not consider. I mean, obviously considering whatever you want, but it's in the context of this team. Who do you think that other fan base would rather face? I'd I'd rather have Patrick Mahomes as quarterback for my team. No disrespect to Tom Brady. I, I want who I have in Kansas City. Hey, if I'm an if I'm an opposing fan base and I've got a choice of okay, do I want do I want Patrick Mahomes to beat me with under two minutes to go, or do I want Tom Brady to beat me with under two minutes to go? That's kind of like saying, do I want to be lined up against the firing squad, or do I want the electric chair? Like that, <laughs> that, like that's basically what the the question is. Flip a coin for all I care. If I'm an opposing fan base, at the end of the day, though, I mean, I think it's going to be incredibly exciting. But yeah, I I, I just the last thing that I want as a Chiefs fan is Tom Brady to have the ball with under two to go and a chance to either tie or take the lead. That's just not not something. <laughs> That uh, I've, I've 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 watched that that movie play out multiple times over the course of, of my life following Kansas City. A couple of other quick notes that aren't related to the Super Bowl, uh, but are related to the Chiefs, and they're they're more coaching than anything else that I want to point out before we move on. Uh, Eric Bieniemy will continue to be the offensive coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, as far as I as far as I know. Uh, he did not end up as a head coach in the NFL for this upcoming season which I think is a grave mistake for the teams that, uh, that, that passed up on that opportunity to hire him. Uh, that's one note. The other note, kind of more on a somber note, I don't know if you guys saw, uh, Marty Schottenheimer has been moved to hospice care. He's been dealing with Alzheimer's for the last several years, and his family made the announcement uh, on Wednesday that he would be moving into hospice care. Um, so thoughts and prayers go out to the Schottenheimer family. Obviously, if uh, you follow the Chiefs for a long time, you know all about Marty Ball, and, and uh, you know, you want to talk about a culture that Kansas City had. I know they rebuilt it when Andy Reid came to town, but uh, that culture with Marty Schottenheimer and KC was was a lot of fun back in the 90s. Fantastic coach. Uh, so sad that he never got to win a championship. Probably, in my mind, the best coach to never win an NFL title. Um, fantastic defensive teams. Great rushing uh, running backs with Marcus Allen, Christian Okoye. Um you know, just one of the you could always count on the Chiefs being a factor in the NFL in every season with Marty Schottenheimer uh, on the headset. Grew up with Marty Ball. It's it's hard to you know yeah. think about anything else with the, with the '90s Chiefs other than Marty Ball. So uh, you know, sad to hear, and certainly thoughts go out to his his family as I'm sure they're you know adjusting to this. And by the way, just like those idiots on Reddit holding GameStop stock, we are holding Eric Bieniemy stock. Okay, we like the stock. We will Hold keep him forever. If you guys don't want him, fine. Don't hire. Please continue to not hire Eric Bieniemy. We like the stock. We like Eric Bieniemy. Stay in Kansas City. Stay here forever. Everybody else, get out and good, good luck when you're hiring a new coach in three years because all the guys you hired suck. In that analogy, does that make uh, like the other teams like Rob the Robinhood app? Is that or are they or are they the hedge are they, are they the hedge funds in this analogy? I'm, I guess I'm, the I'm hedge trouble. You know, we're the we're the dumb idiots who think holding Eric Bieniemy is a good idea. I mean, yeah, that's right. They're short. Yeah. They're shorting Eric Bieniemy, and we said, forget that. We'll keep we're long. We're long, Eric Bieniemy. Stay here for your whole career. We like the yeah. stock. Hashtag hold the line when it comes to Eric Bieniemy for sure. Hey, 
That's the for sure. Let's go ahead and get into our college hoops roundup here on Keeper of the Games. And and Blake, I, I have to just throw this out here to you. Uh, you know, you you did a, a valiant job hosting the podcast a week ago in really dire circumstances because it was a bad week for college <laughs> basketball in the state of Kansas. Now I will say this week isn't that much better, but at least it is better to an extent. And we're going to start by talking with the Kansas Jayhawks uh, as, as we kick off our college hoops roundup. Blake, I, I asked you this on Twitter over the weekend. You referenced it on our program a week ago about if it was time for the Jayhawks to hit that big red panic button on their season. And uh, I think that they're about as close, at least over the weekend, we're about as close to doing that as they have been in a long time after they were absolutely crushed by the Tennessee Volunteers in the Big 12 SEC matchup on Saturday in Tennessee. The Volunteers beat the Jayhawks final score 80 to 61 before that game. So the Jayhawks have played three games since the last time that we recorded a podcast. Uh, Last week, the Jayhawks were back or they were, um, I'm sorry, they were on the road taking on TCU won that game by eight final score was 59 to 51 they kind of slogged through that game. They were able to get a victory. The halftime score was 19 to 18. TCU was beating the Jayhawks at intermission. It was ugly, but the Jayhawks did get a win. Of course, they were crushed on Saturday against Tennessee. And then the Sunflower Showdown, which we'll get into in just a moment, where the Jayhawks made quick work of Bruce Weber's Wildcats squad. So knowing that, Blake, knowing that the Jayhawks have played three games in the last seven days, they're one and two, or I'm sorry, they're two and one in those three games, but really it hasn't been totally pretty. Where do the Jayhawks stand right now in your mind? Uh, you know, I like to judge games based on the last time I saw the team play, and they completely dominated an overmatched Kansas State team. Tennessee is really good. Tennessee is 16th at Ken Palm. We have to put this in perspective, guys. KU right now, On Ken Palm, they have the eighth most difficult schedule, and this is not because of the non-com. You search, just do a quick search for Big 12 and and look and see where it is on the Ken Palm rankings. Look at where they are. In Ken Palm, Big 12 teams are right now 1, that's Baylor, 12, Texas, 14, Texas Tech, 20, Oklahoma, 21, West Virginia, 22, Kansas, 35, Oklahoma State. Okay, there's no other conference unless you want to be a Big Ten fan. And I understand if you do, because you've got Michigan and Iowa and the Big Ten, you know, with Purdue and Rutgers also playing very good this year. If you want to make that argument, we could have that discussion. And I think that either conference could come out on top. That put aside, no other conference is playing as well right now than the Big 12. And you look at KU's losses, Oklahoma's a good team. Tennessee out of the SEC is a good team. They're the best SEC team outside of, surprisingly, maybe Alabama. Alabama might be the best SEC team. Might do the KU double where they made the Final Four and also won a uh, BCS-level game like KU did back in, what was that, 2007, 2008? Um, So it's not like KU is playing nobodies. Now, obviously, the Texas Christian game, they did not look great against the Horned Frogs. Their defense was fantastic offensively they did not look very good but they came back had a great performance against kansas state played better defensively 
that is what I want to see out of KU. KU is much lower on average than they have been in the Big 12 in terms of defensive efficiency. They held Kansas State to 34% from the field, only 24% from the three-point line. They were plus seven in the turnover margin. They played much better defensively. And Kansas State, you when you were listening to that game or as you were watching that game, you never ever got the sense that even when Kansas State cut it to nine in the second half, you never had the thought that, okay, KU is going to let this get away from it. And, and, and it never did. Um, so for me, it's time to just push, you know, just sit down. It's going to be fine. Put the cover back on top of the big red button. You can get back into it if you need to. Everything is fine. I know it's just Kansas State. I'm not trying to christen KU like, oh, they're going to win the national championship or put them back on the one line or anything because Kansas State is a dumpster fire right now. But, um, you know, it's not time to panic if you're a Jayhawk fan. If you're a Wildcat fan, uh, you've probably been panicking for a few weeks. Blake, I feel like you are that 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 meme of the dog in the room with the cup of coffee and the room's this on fire, fine. and you're saying this, this is fine. fine. Everything is fine. Like I feel it's like okay. that's that's kind of where you're at right now. Um, I'm a little bit closer to like I'm not putting the cover back on the big red panic button yet. Um, my hand has moved a little bit further away from it, oh, but it's not, it's not completely pulled away. And that like cover is not to bad teams. I mean, what do you want from they've played the, the by some measures, they've played the most difficult strength of schedule in the world. I understand all of that, but you know, some of the things that, that you're, you're saying as, as far as coming to the defense of Kansas, just, it doesn't hold water with me. And one of the things that you said is, you know, you talked about how they were beat by a, a really good, or I think you even said a great Tennessee team in the big 12 SEC showdown. Do you realize that the very next time out on the floor for Tennessee after that 19 point win against the Jayhawks. The Volunteers lost 52 to 50 against Ole Miss. Against Ole Miss, they lost. They only scored 50 points against Ole Miss. That's what it's like after you play Blue Bloods when you're not one of the top echelon programs year in, year out. It happens. It happens. KU lost three straight games. They lost to TCU a couple of years ago, and Bill Self said they couldn't beat the Topeka YMCA, and they still would have made it to the Elite Eight if Michigan doesn't hit the luckiest three-pointer in the history of basketball. At the end of the day, though, I understand that Kansas is losing to teams that are in the the top tier of college basketball programs in the country. I understand all of that, and I know that can be the 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 the, the warm blanket that keeps you safe and secure at night. Oh but at the end of the day, all that matters is is the team winning, and the the answer right now is not really. Or if they are. It doesn't really look very good. I mean, I guess a win is hilarious. It's hilarious that you and Weston will go to the defense and talk about all these recruits that are coming into Kansas football and tell me how big of a deal it is for Kansas football. We've got these recruits coming in, but Kansas basketball, a program that's actually winning, and you want me to be concerned about Kansas basketball, but oh, come on, can't you give KU football a win? Can't you let them have a little something? Can't we have National Signing Day? What am I missing here? Am, am I, have I lost something here? Have I lost something in translation? 
Yes, you're missing a big point, and that's expectations, right? So, like, Kansas football's expectations have been in the, the dumps for years, right? So when you do something a little bit above the dumpster level, that is so, that's something to be excited about. Kansas basketball's expectations, the expectations is that you have a team that has an expectation to win a national championship every single year. Whether that's fair or not, that is the expectation of Kansas basketball. Or even an expectation, even an expectation to not currently be 6 and 4 in the Big 12. Oh my god. I mean, is the season over tomorrow? But did, did they cancel the rest of the season? See, okay, so hold on. I'm going to be the tiebreaker here because I do. I actually feel like I'm somewhere in between both of you on this because I'm kind of with with Tommy on. Uh, look, the expectation of look, this team is there's no. I mean, is anybody expecting that they can win a national? That they're going to win the national championship? No, they're not. But now, where where I'm kind of more on the side of or where I kind of fall in between you two is. I also think when you look at this team, and like Blake said, they've played some really good opponents, and they're building that, uh, you know, resume, I guess, to get themselves and in, in still to a decent spot. In um, the talent that is on this roster, you've seen moments of incredible play out of, you know, about seven guys at any given time have played really incredible, and if they could put that talent together, they absolutely have that ability to win a national championship the way that March Madness goes. But again, going back to Tommy's point, it is it feels like such a letdown because you certainly wouldn't expect it. It would kind of be like a can things break the right way for this Kansas team? Can they get hot and make a run in the tournament? Whereas, a, you know, in the past 10 years, really, we've kind of gone into a tournament saying, okay, Kansas is the one seed. Kansas is the two seed. Hell, maybe it's been one or two over the, about over the last 10 years, maybe a three seed. And you still think, okay, this team is positioned to, they've shown us that they can win a national title, that they can beat anybody. We haven't seen that they can beat anybody, but you've certainly seen the talent on this team that if it clicks, if so, if they figure it out, whether it's Bill putting the right piece together, if these guys just continue to mature as they've been playing these tough opponents, they could be that team. But it does kind of feel like they would need to get hot in the tournament or have a break or two go their way to be able to make that. So I, I don't know. I hope I kind Every of that needs a break to go their way. Absolutely. Kansas when they won the 2008 title had a break go their way. And that's Villanova kind of the, when they won titles had breaks to go their way. You have to play well in the NCAA tournament to win. Right. It. And that's kind of my point about, I mean, you know, as it goes for March Madness, because there really is no such thing as a favorite. If anybody tells you so-and-so, the one team is the sole favorite, that's just goofy because the way March Madness goes, I don't care who it is, you know, you have a one night and you're out and that's it. And you can just catch a hot team. It doesn't matter. I mean, you can think of, we can go through all the 15, the 15 seeds, the 16 <laughs> seeds that have now won. I mean, but truly that's my point of there is no such thing as a favorite, but there is a, Hey, this is a team that could win the national championship. It doesn't feel like that's Kansas this year, which is disappointing. Kansas is because a team that, that could win the national championship. Okay. Could. You know what? You know what? It will, but I, they could. Actually, you're you're right, and that's what I meant to say. But I think in the years past, it's been that they would be a you know a, a betting favorite, or they would be a if you had I to agree. list five teams that you would expect to win, they would be in that top five. That's not them this year, and, no, and I, I, think, I agree with that. 
And whether it's fair or not, I think that is the expectation of the fan base for the basketball program is that you need to be one of the betting favorites for a national championship. Oh and again, my God. that may not be a fair assessment, but I think that's where the program is. Look, you can call me an alarmist all you want to. All I know is that a week ago on this program, I posed the question, is there a, are we getting close to the point for this Jayhawks program where we could be talking about them falling out of the AP top 25 poll and Blake at that time, you're like, Oh, that's ridiculous. That's not going to happen. They're 23rd right now. One more loss they're out. And that could very, very easily happen on the road in Morgantown this weekend against a top 20 West Virginia squad. So yeah, I might be an alarmist, but I'm a realist when it comes to the state of affairs for this program. Is Kansas a bad basketball team? No, they're 23rd in the country. They've got talent. Are they losing against teams that are in the top echelon? Yes. Are these games that historically Kansas has Maybe not won all of them, but won more of them against the top opponents. Absolutely, yes. Previous but not teams, every year. Not every year, but previous teams have historically performed better against these teams. Bill Self, it's a testament to his coaching. He's been able to coach up his guys in top 10 matchups and top 15 matchups. We're not seeing that with this program right now. They had a, a, a brutal stretch of games, and unfortunately, they dropped several of them. And now it's a real topic of conversation could Kansas fall out of the top 25? And it's not that big of a deal, even if they do. It, it, we see teams get hot in the NCAA tournament all the time. It, it, it doesn't really matter. Sure, would I want them to fall out? Of course not. It's a great badge of honor. They have the, long, they have the longest active street since 1990 or something yeah. like that, I think. 300 and yeah, of course, I don't want them to fall out, but you look at the schedule coming up. I mean, if they let, let's say that they continue to play well, they beat West Virginia and Oklahoma State. You don't think that they're back in? Then they've got Iowa State. They should absolutely assassinate the Cyclones because they're playing horrible. Then they've got Kansas State again, and then a really, really tough stretch of games down the stretch to end the year. Texas Tech in Lawrence going to Texas. I think the guys will be up for that game and Baylor at home, uh, you know, which maybe could decide the Big 12 championship. Probably not for Kansas, probably for Baylor or Texas or one of those up, upper teams. West Virginia could still play their way into the Big 12 championship. I think Kansas just needs so much to happen. Um, but it's it's not crazy to think about that KU wins these games and then obviously they're going to be in the top 25. So, you know, let, let's look at, at how they have been playing. They've played much better defensively in two out of their last three games. They shut down TCU. Now, obviously, a team that they should shut down, not a great offensive team, and they totally shut down. They held Kansas State to 51 points, and again, not a great offensive team, but they played well defensively in those games that they should have played well in. So for me, it's a positive trend for me that I see. Now, Tennessee, obviously, is really good. Baylor is maybe the best team in the country. Oklahoma State, they played their guts back, guts out in that game to, to get back into it. And Oklahoma, I think, is a very underrated team. So, yeah, I, I there there is way, you're, you're sounding the alarm way too loudly. It's okay to be concerned. 
you should have some concern, but you know, to to have a red panic button and say the season's going to be a failure if the team falls out of the top twenty-five. Uh, come on, it's not. It's just not. The, the Kansas I, has wins of, over Texas Tech on the road. They've beaten a top ten Creighton team. You know, like what else do you want? For this is how the other half lives, guys. I, I yeah, hate to I, break it to you. I'm not sure that um, you know I. Uh, we can run the tape back. I don't think I ever said that the season is a failure if they dropped out of the top 25. But I will say, I mean, just the 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 stats speak for themselves. 23rd in the country, that's the lowest rank that Bill Self has had since 2009 in 11 years. Kansas has been above that point for 11 years. They've been in the top 25 for a record 230 consecutive weeks. Now, does that matter? No. But to Weston's point, it's expectations. And you know what? I'll even I'll even go a little bit um, less than being a betting favorite for the national championship. But even just, yeah, I know Kansas fans have been spoiled with the consecutive Big 12 championships. And obviously that reign was going to end at some point, which it did. But that being said, Kansas fans are not used to being not just a couple like second or third or fourth in the big 12 Kansas is in the bottom half of the big 12 as big far as really good this year as far as conference the big, big 12 has been year. good big 12 every is good year. every year and Kansas has not always found year. themselves has always found themselves in in the the top spot more often than not and if not you know a co-champion or whatever that Kansas fans are not used to seeing their team in the bottom half of the Big 12 standings is my only point. Now, that being said, I'm not saying the season is a failure if they fall out of the top 25. That might very well happen. I'm not saying that the season is a failure if Kansas finishes third or fourth in the Big 12. I don't think the season is a failure unless they get to the tournament and they get bounced in the first round. I mean, that's kind of kind of where my, you know, my, my point is right there. But that being said, it's not time to panic. They do have, other than this West Virginia game this weekend, they do have a little bit of, a, I guess, an easier stretch. You know, they dominated the Sunflower Showdown, which I do want to talk about briefly, um, you know, because really that's the only chance we'll have to kind of talk about Kansas State this week. Uh, but they do have some opportunities to kind of bounce back. I do feel like they got their mojo back a little bit in that game against Kansas State. I don't know if you guys had a chance to watch or listen to the Sunflower Showdown uh, on Tuesday. Tuesday. But I, I do think that that was a needed confidence booster for the Jayhawks. They needed to play a team where they felt like they could gain their confidence back a little bit. And it, I think it helped that it was the first time the Jayhawks have played at home in a long time. You know, I, I think I'm going to I want to add this too, and I, and I think maybe it goes a little bit both ways to both your points. It's kind of the last my last thought on it. You know, I and I say this every year, but it really does feel like this year more so than in the past everybody's losing, you know, it doesn't seem like there's really outside of, of course, Gonzaga and Baylor three through 25 seems to, you know, have just flip flopped all over the place more than in years past. And I don't have any data to, uh, to back that up. It just kind of feels like every week you hear, Oh, a top 10 team went down. Oh, a top 10 team went down top 15 team lost to an unranked team. Like it just seems like this year kind of is all over the place a little bit more in the past. And, 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 I don't know what's causing Edible. that. Maybe that's part of it too. But, um, you know, I, I, and for that, with that being said, I do think we may have a little bit of extra chaos in the, in the tournament this year. I do have a, a quick correction to make. I guess that 
when the Jayhawks played TCU, they were back at home. So the, the Sunflower Showdown was not the first game at home in a long time. I had forgotten about the fact they played that TCU game inside Allen Fieldhouse. But with that Sunflower Showdown game, the Jayhawks got the win against Kansas State 74-51. to For the Wildcats' perspective, I mean, it was obviously a game they were overmatched in. Um, we don't need to dwell a whole lot on Kansas State. I think we've said a lot of pretty much everything we can say about them. They were blown out by pretty by almost 50 points against Baylor uh, last week. It's just, it's, 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 it's a, yeah, it's a dumpster fire for the Wildcats right now. Uh, Mike McGurl and Nigel Pack, uh, Pack each had 10 points for the Wildcats in that game. They didn't shoot the ball particularly well. Um, it was kind of the first time that we've seen uh, an opponent of, of the Jayhawks not really shoot well from beyond the arc. Uh, they K state shot 24% from the three point line in that game. Uh, you know, Kansas opponents, they had been shooting pretty well from three in previous games. So that was one good thing to see um, for the Jayhawks, at least if you're a, if you're a KU fan in that game. Uh, but the one quick question I have before we move away from Kansas and Kansas state is that, you know, I, it struck me when I was watching the sunflower showdown guys, about just how uh, how much of a divide there is between Kansas and Kansas State, and you know everybody always looks forward to that Sunflower Showdown, and even when you know one program is above the other, it tends to be a pretty close game. You know, usually when. Kansas State goes, you know, when they're playing KU, they play up, you know, sometimes KU plays down, but it always seems to be a pretty evenly matched game. That was not the case uh, on Tuesday night in the Sunflower Showdown. Is that more of a testament, Blake, in your mind to how Kansas has separated themselves or how far Kansas State has fallen? Oh, Kansas State, for sure. You you look back, I think they've lost like eight straight games or nine straight games, and they're only single-digit losses, Texas A&M and TCU. They haven't won a game since December 29th, and that was against University of Nebraska Omaha. And the game before that, they beat Jacksonville. The last Big 12 team that they beat was Iowa State back on the 15th, and their other wins this year are UMKC and Milwaukee. This is the sign, not necessarily of a good KU team. KU has separated themselves, sure, based on previous seasons and the recruits that they have. But this is a this is a measure of Kansas State has fallen down. And it, you look at what the Wildcats have looking forward to them. They got the Red Raiders coming in Saturday, Texas Tuesday. Then they go to Oklahoma State, and then Kansas comes back to Bramlage on the sixteenth. I'm not seeing any wins in there for Kansas State either. This is only going to get worse. You know, I I didn't get to watch a whole lot of the game. My daughter decided that uh, I wasn't going to watch uh, most of it. Um, but from what I did see, you know, it didn't take much for me to go, you know, have this thought that, boy, the K-State players just don't look like they're even interested in being out there. I mean, not everyone and not, you know, at, at all times, but just at given times, it just looks like a dejected bunch. I mean, you know, and that's usually one of the, we've already talked about all the other reasons why Bruce Weber, you know, potentially is going to lose his job. But boy, when, when your players t- seem to not be even wanting to be out there playing, that's tough. You know, I, I think this is uh, this is going to be one, a very strong season to forget for K-State. I, I, I will say I don't feel like that has been the case for every game for Kansas State. 
you know, they were down big against West Virginia a few weeks ago, and I thought that they did play hard. They got themselves back into that game. Now, West Virginia just kind of finally overwhelmed them in that game. And they made a push against Kansas in the Sunflower Showdown. But again, the Jayhawks just kind of overwhelmed them in that game. But to your point, there was a, the commentary, the guy doing television on ESPN2, don't remember the analyst's name, but, you know, Baylor was absolutely wiping the floor with Kansas State. And he actually did comment on the air like, hey, if you're Kansas State, you need to have a little pride right here. Have a little passion for the game and, and come out and, and do something about this. Like, sure, you're going to lose to Baylor, you know, nine times out of 10, maybe 99 times out of 100, but you don't need to lose like this. So, you know, you haven't been the only one to question their effort. I'm just pointing out, at least in the last two games that I've been able to watch, um, you know, with, with West Virginia and Kansas outside of the Baylor game, with a huge exception. But, uh, but you know, Kansas State has played hard in those games. Uh, the Baylor game, obviously, um, yeah, they did really show up to that one. And it's understandable. It's hard to show up, you know, when you've been on a streak like this. Tommy, the Wildcats are – oh, go ahead. Sorry, before we move on, just – and I know we're running long, but I wanted to take this opportunity because you seem like the perfect person to jump on this. Did you watch any of these games on ESPN Plus? I the broadcast is so atrocious. I don't even know the two guys calling the game. Well, the, the the play-by-play guy is fine. The color commentary guy is terrible. I cannot stand these broadcasts, but the floor is yours because I know you've got some thoughts. How much time do we have? Uh, <laughs> no. Um, yeah, I, I don't want to get into a huge rant against them, um, because, you know, I, and Blake, I know you've been in this position before too, where when you put yourself out there and you're, you're, you're commentating a game, you open yourself up to criticism. You have to have thick skin. It's not always fun. I've been the recipient of that before, um, you know, in, in the times that I've called games in the past, and it's not always fun when people are critical of you. That being said, um, I think that when it comes to Lance Blanks is his name. Yes, yes, um, yes. I, I think the criticism is 1000% fully warranted. I don't know how this Joker got himself an ESPN commentating gig. I know that at one point I looked him up because I wanted to know more about him. At one point he was the San Antonio Spurs like pregame guy. Um, he was the general manager for the Phoenix Suns for a while, played in the NBA for a few years. His dad was an NFL player, I believe, back in the 60s and 70s. So he's connected in the sports world for sure. Um, my complaint is less with Lance Blanks. He's a terrible commentator, terrible broadcaster. But my complaint is with ESPN Plus, And it's the fact that it's the Sunflower freaking showdown. And it's in-state rivals. I know that Kansas is 23rd in the country. They're down a little bit. I know Kansas State is god-awful. But you're putting this in-state rivalry on a streaming service, which on its on its you know, surface. I don't mind ESPN plus, but the fact that you've got, you know, people that are paying five 99 a month to access this service, you would think that the quality would be better than what you're right. getting on over the air TV because you're paying for it. It should be premium content, not worse content. I, I would just rather, 
I would just rather for for ESPN Plus if they just didn't have commentators at all and just put microphones on the court so we can hear the players and the coaches. Like I think that would be yeah. better than them hiring, you know, substandard broadcasters to call a game. I know a lot of really talented, high quality broadcasters, and Blake, you're one of them that would have done a significantly better job, whether it's play by play or color, calling K State and KU versus each other. And it just is again another testament. And I know. Blake, you tweeted this about how you know great it is that we've got guys like Brian Haney and Wyatt Thompson. That's free to listen to, and I think more people ought to do so rather than giving any time to these jokers on ESPN Plus. And not all the not all ESPN Plus broadcasts are bad. I do want to say that there, sure. you know, there there are a lot that are that are really good. I think Wichita State Shane Dennis does a great job covering the Shockers. So it's not it's not something that that I would you know throw out across the board. At all, I think Wichita is really lucky to have Shane Dennis. I think he does a really good job on TV. I mean, obviously, baseball is his bread and butter, but I think he does a great job on television. And and Bruce Hurdle did a good job when he was back covering the Shockers on television as well. So it's not just an ESPN Plus thing, but you know, maybe it is a regional a regional issue. So the Wildcats, their current record is five and fourteen overall. They're one and nine in the Big Twelve. Of course, Kansas stands at twelve and six. They're five and four uh, in in the Big Twelve as well. This was one stat to kind of put a nice little bow on the KUK State show, uh, Sunflower Showdown rivalry. So. This was the 200th win that KU has had against Kansas State. They've won more games against their rival than any other team has won against a rival in college basketball. Um, Kansas State has made it to the NCAA tournament nine of the last 13 years. They've missed it four times in the last 13 years. In that 13-year span, keep in mind, they made the tournament nine times. KU is 26-4 and against them. In those 13 years. So in nine of those years, the Wildcats were a tournament team. Um, so that just kind of shows where the Jayhawks typically perform against the Wildcats in the Sunflower Showdown. Of course, uh, Blake already mentioned who the Wildcats have coming up. The Jayhawks, they uh, mentioned it before. They're on the road in Morgantown this Saturday, taking on the 17th ranked Mountaineers of West Virginia. Then they're back at home for Big Monday against Oklahoma State, hopefully a revenge game for the Jayhawks against the Cowboys. And then Iowa State back at home next Thursday. All right, let's go ahead and get into Wichita State Shocker basketball. Uh, of course, if you are a frequent listener to this podcast, you know we typically record the episodes in the evening, release them the next morning. Uh, and so we're recording this episode on Wednesday night, and it the game just went final a few minutes ago. The Shockers at home inside Charles Koch Arena, and they were able to defeat Tulane. Final score of that game, 75-67. to 67. Their previous game, most recently, was over the weekend on Saturday, again at home inside the roundhouse and they took down UCF in a tightly contested game. It was an overtime game. Final score of that game was 93 to 88. Right now, Blake, the Shockers are five and two in the American Conference. They're nine and four overall. They uh, are setting it second place right now behind Houston, who, by the way, lost on Wednesday night uh, to uh, ECF. And so where do you or ECU, where do you see Wichita State right now? 
a little concerned about this game against Tulane. Uh, they dominated the wave in the first half defensively, held them to just 19 points. But in the second half of this game, you know, just as it seemed like Wichita State, I think they had opened up, you know, a, a pretty big lead, but they gave up a 13-0 run to Tulane, did not score for three minutes. And then they end the game with no field goals over the last 247, and Tulane scores 48 second half points in the ball game. So, you know, for me, Udeze had been coming along, kind of a non-factor today. He was saddled with foul trouble, played 21 minutes, only scored three points. Etienne, obviously, is the headliner for uh, Wichita State, 22 points on 7 of 14, shooting with four three-pointers. But, you know, you would have liked to have seen Wichita State play a little bit more consistently in this game. You know, those those two stretches that they had uh, that led Tulane back in, to the ball game against better teams. I think that Wichita State is not going to get away with that against a team like Cincinnati. Actually, they already played and didn't get away with that. Not going to get away with that against Houston. Against Tulane, that's 179 in the Ken Palm and with their seven and six now, I think after the loss, you can find a way to do that. But against a lot of other teams, uh, I, I don't think that that's going to work out for Wichita State. So I'd like to see a little bit more consistency. And obviously, 48 points uh, allowed in the second half. And Tulane shot 19 free throws in the second half. They made 18 of them. So Wichita State did not do a good job at all of keeping Tulane off of the foul line in the second half. This was really the Tyson Etienne show against Tulane on Wednesday night. He scored 22 points for the Shockers. Alterate Gilbert added 17 points in the victory. Clarence Jackson had nine and Dexter Dennis had eight uh, in the game against Tulane. Going back to that <clears throat> overtime win on Saturday against UCF, you know, there were a couple of guys that I was really impressed with. Obviously, Tyson Etienne is playing great basketball right now. He had 29 points in, in that game, but Clarence Jackson. Um, I thought there were several possessions late in that game, especially, you know, the, you know, keep in mind the Shockers were down, I think, five points with like two minutes to go or something like that uh, against UCF. It, it looked like the Shockers were going to be in trouble. They were able to get back in the game, tie it up, send it to overtime and then get the victory. And Clarence Jackson down the stretch and in overtime, I thought played great basketball. And he he's an addition for Isaac Brown that not a lot of people have, have talked about much about this season you know they talked a lot about alter eat gilbert because he's put up a lot of points the the game on wednesday night against tulane is a prime example of that with 17 uh he put up 12 against ucf alter eat gilbert did um people talk about ricky council and and what and what his ceiling is but clarence jackson in clutch moments in that game against ucf on saturday really took the game over there were several possessions that i was super impressed by what he brought to the table that's really what Wichita State is going to need down the stretch. I mean, you can rely on guys like Tyson Etienne and Alter Gilbert and Dexter Dennis, but really it's going to come down to those glue guys coming off the bench, making those clutch baskets. You know, they're guys that can make things happen when maybe the defense is collapsing in on Wichita State's leading scorer. But at the end of the day, you know, I think uh, I've talked to a few Shocker fans about the game against UCF on Saturday. I'm sure they probably have the same sentiments again about this Tulane game. <clears throat> that really Wichita State should be blowing these teams out. They're not. They're still getting the victory. And Weston, as you have said for a few weeks now, 
Wichita State needs every single win that they can get if they want any chance of being considered to make it into the big dance. Yeah, and frankly, I don't know at this point, too, if, if margin of victory really makes a whole lot of difference. I don't. I mean, I, I think dang near winning out is the only possibility. And so I don't think, you know, if, if they lose to Houston or lose to Memphis, you know, or maybe they lose to SMU or something like that down the stretch, I don't know that a margin of victory in some of these games is going to be an a difference maker anyways, but I think it's a barometer of the team. And maybe, you know, I think that's a lot of what, where fans are saying, Oh gosh. Okay. But if we aren't, you know, closing out some of these games or beating teams a little bit better than we should, does that mean that this team is able to beat a Houston, um, you know, again, down the stretch. And so that's, you know, I think where the concern lies or maybe where it's more of a, you know, important factor, um, but certainly, as you mentioned, it seems like this team kind of goes as Tyson Etienne goes, right? I mean, he had uh, 29 against UCF in the that overtime thriller last Saturday. Um, and really, if you look at some of their losses, like, you know, when they lost to Memphis before that, he had three points uh, on one for 12 shooting. Uh, their loss to now Houston being the exception, their loss to Oklahoma State. Uh, he had, well, he had 19 points that game, but their loss to Mizzou, he had 14 only on 25% shooting, you know, so he really is, I mean, he's the guy and you're right. Of course there has to be something more, right? I mean, there's really nobody in this, you know, no player in in the NCAA D D one this year that can carry a team solely, but he's got to continue to play and play at a high level. And boy, he has been doing that as of late for sure. Yeah, so the Shockers again stand at second place in the American Conference behind Houston. They're at six and two in conference play, ten and four overall. Houston ten and two in conference play, fifteen and two overall. I did mention this uh, a moment ago that Houston lost to East Carolina by nine on Wednesday night. It's the number five team in the country losing to ECU, which um, you know I think is. You know, I, I'm less concerned about it from Houston's perspective and more concerned about it from a conference perspective overall that maybe the American just isn't a great conference this year. Uh, you know, looking at, at bracketology uh, with Joe Lenardi, he only has, you know, one American team in the tournament. That's Houston. Um, there's not even another team that's being mentioned right now by Joe Lenardi. On the flip side, the Missouri Valley Conference has two teams in uh, Joe Lenardi's uh, bracketology. Kind of a weird season, of course. We've talked about it before with uh, where Duke and North Carolina and Kentucky. Kentucky lost again on Wednesday night to Missouri. They're 5-11 and on the season. So just, you know, if you're a Kentucky Wildcat fan, um, a tough season for you for sure. And Blake, I guess that does put it in perspective a little bit about where Kansas is right now. I guess it could be worse. You could be a Kentucky, Duke, or North Carolina fan. Yeah, it could be a lot worse. So, you know, be be just be thankful, I think. Kansas is definitely still relevant. Sure, the season hasn't gone on as as great as we would have liked, but every once in a while Kansas gets a 3 seed or a 4 seed or a 5 seed. That's what normally happens. This last decade that Bill Self has had including that championship run, that's not normal. Even for the blue blood teams, that's not normal. So, you know, enjoy what we had. You know, obviously sad about the missed opportunity last year. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'll take this downswing over what Kentucky and North Carolina are going through any day. Well, Wichita State's next game is Sunday afternoon back inside the roundhouse at Charles Coke Arena. They're taking on Temple. 
Tip-off for that game is at 2 p.m. We are running a little bit long on this program. Our Super Bowl preview we knew was going to take a, a while, so we thank you for bearing with us. We have one more quick topic to get to before our Wichita whip around. And, uh, and Blake, I'm ready for your rant on this. So this happened right after we dropped our last episode, um, and I think that there's probably a reason for that. That was so we wouldn't talk about it on the last episode. I think uh, the Jayhawks wanted to keep it a secret until after our last episode was already released. But uh, Brent Deerman has left the Kansas Jayhawks football team. He was the offensive coordinator for the Jayhawks. He took the same position at Middle Tennessee State University. Uh, and so he will be the offensive coordinator there this upcoming season. <laughs> Brent Deerman was a guy that um, was heralded as the next big thing for Kansas football. I think a lot of people had pegged him as potentially the next head coach for the Jayhawks uh, after Les Miles. And now he's gone. The new offensive coordinator for the Jayhawks is Mike DeBoard, who is the former offensive coordinator for Michigan. He's also worked for uh, Tennessee and Indiana, as well as some other teams. Um, He's 65 years old. He's going to be the new offensive coordinator for the Jayhawks. I guess age is just a number, right? I guess tell that to Les Miles. Blake, your thoughts on Mike DeBoard as the new OC at Kansas? Well, first of all, for the people who thought that the old offensive coordinator was going to be the solution, um, I mean, did you watch Kansas play? I mean, if, he, if he's supposed to be the guy that knows how to score points, well, KU was last in the Big 12 in scoring by about a touchdown. They were last, uh, they were second to last in rushing behind only Baylor, and they were the worst passing team by like 500 yards. So, really, he's the solution. This is the same thing. It doesn't matter who the offensive coordinator is. It doesn't matter. I don't think that he's going to have a big impact. Uh, from what I've read, he's kind of an old school guy, uh, a pound the pound the rock kind of a guy, run the football a lot, not a whole lot of, you know, uh, I guess, advanced offensive, uh, you know, schematics. We'll see if he changes a little bit with Kansas. You know, at this point, it doesn't really matter. If anybody thinks that this one guy is going to come in and change the culture of Kansas football, you're going to be sadly mistaken and sorely disappointed again. I think it says more about Kansas football that a guy left for Middle Tennessee, Middle Tennessee, instead of being in the Power Five. That is such a bad look for the Crimson and Blue that they lost a guy to any school that's named MTSU, I don't care if it's Middle Tennessee or Middle Texas or Middle Tonganoxy. That's horrible. That's horrible that that it could possibly happen, that you'd rather be at MTSU than in the Power Five. That's how bad of a look and how bad of a place Kansas football is right now. Blake, the Blue Raiders have a good program out there in Tennessee, so you just – you stop <laughs> Do they? Right now. Uh, no, here's yeah. the thing. Look, of course – Better than KU's is, that's for sure. Of course, it's a it's a it's a tough loss to lose Brent Deerman, and more in the sense that you know a, a lateral move is not a good look for the program. I you know I don't know what truth there is to it. I, I think my understanding is he's from Tennessee. They wanted to move back home. You know who knows what kind of. No, they wanted to move out of of the absolute disaster in Lawrence. That's what they wanted to move out of. Anywhere is better. 
But here's the thing. So DeBoard, I, I like the hire, and in, in particularly, I like it because you know he has stated in it, you know, that he doesn't have an offense. He doesn't. He does not going to have a particular offense that they run. That you run the offense that is dictated by your personnel or week to week by what the other defense is giving you. And I love that. I think that's something that more offensive coordinators should do. That's what Bill Belichick has had success for years doing in New England. And it drives me nuts when you have offensive coordinators or football teams in general that just want to say, we have a, we have a particular game plan and we're going to do it every week, no matter what it is. That's not a great way to find success. So you're right. I mean, this is, again, you got to get the players in. You got to have talent to win football games. I mean, you can call the best plays in the world, but if you don't have the guys to execute those plays, it doesn't do anything for you. But I I do like that. He's at least, you know, coming in and saying, Hey, look, you know, we're just going to adapt to our personnel because when you're the university of Kansas, you've got, different personnel with different strengths on any given year. And and with that being said too, we can dictate a game plan based on the weaknesses of a defense too. So he's saying the right things, but you know, that's all it is at this point. So um, I, I'm certainly excited to, to see what he can, you know, bring to the table and, and it's experience if nothing else. At the end of the day, uh, the, the gang is all back together. They got the they got the band back because Miles and DeBoard worked together on the Michigan staff in the early 90s at the same time that KU Athletic Director Jeff Long was an associate athletic director at Michigan. So uh, again, getting the gang back together, DeBoard uh, will turn 65 years old on Sunday. And like I said, he spent last season as an offensive analyst on Jim Harbaugh's staff at Michigan. We'll see if it makes any difference for the Jayhawks in the upcoming season. One other quick note with KU football is that, of course, National Signing Day uh, happened on Wednesday. The Jayhawks did officially get their highest-ranked recruit ever. Blake, I know you don't care. We're not going to get your thoughts on it. Uh, but they did, they did sign four-star wide receiver Quay Davis, um, and, and that's the highest-rated recruit that the Jayhawks have ever gotten. Conrad Holly uh, also signed as well. He is a three-star quarterback, and he is already enrolled at Kansas. One of the big notes, though, for signing day for the Jayhawks is that three-star defensive back Cameron Grays out of Alabama, who had verbally committed to the Jayhawks, flipped his uh, commitment to Middle Tennessee State University to follow Brent Deerman. Uh, <laughs> and so he will be uh, attending the Blue Raiders program and following Deerman out of Lawrence. So that's just a quick update, at least for the Jayhawks, as it uh, relates to National Signing Day. We Again, we are running long on this program. We have just a couple of moments left to get into our Wichita whip around. And Blake, one good thing you did while hosting last week was you introduced a brand new format to the Wichita whip around, and that's our round robin format format where we each bring a quick story locally in sports to the table. And because you started this new tradition, Blake, you can go first. What do you got for us? I will go to high school basketball in the city league, specifically girls basketball was a big matchup last week. It would have been a week ago on Saturday, five, a number nine Bishop Carroll taking on six, a number eight, Wichita Heights, a 69, 67 win for the Golden Eagles' first loss of the season 
for the Falcons. Chloe Shuckman goes for 31 points. She is signed to play soccer at Washburn University in Topeka, and Bishop Carroll hands the Heights Falcons their first City League loss of the year, and Bishop Carroll now tied for the title. Coach Taylor Dugan trying to win her first City League title, obviously, when you've had to go against the likes of Cape and Mount Carmel when they were really good in the South Dynasty. It's kind of hard to come up in that era, so uh, Wichita Heights is obviously back. Uh, Lanaya Randlewood for 26 for the Falcons. Maya Mayberry had 20 for Coach Palmer's squad. So they're, they're going to be fine, believe me. The Bishop Carroll girls are number eight this week in 5A from the Kansas Basketball Coaches Association. They beat the Golden Buffaloes 45-38 on Tuesday. Did not get a final score for the Heights girls, number nine team in 6A this week. Uh, but they were leading, I think they were leading Northwest at the half, 55-8 to at the half. So I, I think both Schools have recovered uh, just fine from from that matchup. Weston, what do you have? So I'm going to go back to uh, National Signing Day. Just you know, one to troll Blake a little bit more because he loves the signing <laughs> stuff. Yeah. But but two, I always I always like when I'm watching a college football game and you know and I and I go, oh, that guy's from Wichita, you know. And I think it's fun to kind of to follow some of that. So we do have some guys from the area that are going D1. No disrespect to the guys that signed D2 or or D3 or NAI or JUCO. You know, I played NAI, so I you know love those guys. But the list is long, so I'm going to stick with the D. Just a few D1 guys. Uh, we have Zach Dare from Northwest going to Army. Jake Eisenhower out of Salina Central is walking on at Kansas. Uh, ben Purvis from Bishop Carroll is going to Navy. Uh, two guys from, two teammates from Northwest, Julius Bolden, and I think it's Witu uh, Colomo from North uh, from Northwest. They're both going to Northern Illinois. We have, uh, I'm pretty sure, wide receiver Noah Boltikoff uh, from Rose Hill going to TCU. They've had a, a line of guys go to TCU, I think, ever since Blaze Foltz went back when, when I was playing. Um, and then a couple of D1 FCS guys. We've got Davin's. Uh, Davin Sims for Andover Central and Todrick McGee from Northwest going to Missouri State. Uh, Braden Rucker from Eureka going to North Dakota State. And then as we talked about several times as we were covering prep football, uh, Derby quarterback standout Lim Walsh is going to Tennessee Tech. So that's kind of your uh, D1 roundup for the prep football guys and, and where they'll be playing next fall. Guys, we would be absolutely just neglecting our duty as a Wichita area podcast. If we did not mention just the incredible game that Fred Van Vliet yes. had. That was my number two night yeah. against the Orlando magic. Fred Van Vliet dropped 54 points. It's a franchise record. And it's also a record for undrafted players. He scored 11 three-pointers, eight of them in the first half as the Raptors beat the Orlando Magic. Final score of that game, 123 to 108. Shout out, hats off to Fred Van Vliet, proving, and he's done it before, he's doing it again, proving that you can be a star coming out undrafted, playing for a mid-major school, and uh, just hats off to Fred Van Vliet. That's incredibly awesome. I have nothing to add to that. I mean, 54 is that, – that's an incredible – I mean, and he was just – I mean, it was pretty much – I think it was like nine for – did he make 11 threes? Yeah, it was 11 three-pointers, yeah. 11 for six, 17, I think. I mean, shot the ball incredible and really just – if you watch that game, it just – I mean, any you can't score 54 and not feel like you've taken over. But, boy, it, it was just a Red Van Vliet show all day. 
I, I yep. knew that he could be a pro. I felt like he could be a pro. I never thought he would be as good of a scorer as he has been in the NBA. Absolutely. Any other topics from the Wichita whip around for either one of you guys? I'm good. Fred VanVleet was my number two story, so you got me there. All right. Well, sounds good. That is our Wichita whip around here on Keeper of the Games, and that's going to wrap up our program here for this edition. Uh, of course, the the huge news, Super Bowl 55 this Sunday. Uh, I know you guys will be watching. I'll be watching. The whole world will be watching as the Chiefs look to defend their Super Bowl crown and win back-to-back championships again for the first time uh, that a team has ever done it since 2003-2004 with the New England Patriots. We will have a full recap on next week's edition. I believe Blake is hosting next week. I know. Uh, how, so, how great is that? I know. So so Blake will be able to take the take the reins, take the helm as we do our Super Bowl recap. I'm I'm sure you're pumped about that, man. I don't know how lucky I got in order to get that assignment, but uh, yes, it will be a great show next week. Absolutely. So we're looking forward to that. Of course, you know, Weston's got the Chiefs hat that he's rocking uh, for for the game for sure. So hopefully we've got good things to talk about on the next episode of Keeper of the Games. Again, a reminder, hit subscribe, like, download, listen to the podcast. You can find us on all streaming platforms, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, all the major ones you can listen to the podcast right there. Of course, you can go to our website, cogsports.com, find out more about us, listen to archived episodes, a whole lot more right there. Uh, you can watch full episodes on YouTube and Facebook by searching for Keeper of the Games and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at cogpod. That's at K-O-G pod. Fellas, your Twitter handles, Blake, I'll start with you. B-E-C-R-I-P-P-S, B-E-Crips. Weston, what about you? Uh, and I'm pretty sure in the new format, you're going to see it right down here, I think, but at WMills94. Absolutely. You can follow me at Tweets from Tommy. I guess I don't necessarily have to ask you guys that now that we know that right below. Uh, <laughs> the entire sh- our audio listeners, our audio, our dear True. loved audio listeners. That's true. We don't want to alienate all of them. Yeah, good point. But if you want to watch our brand new video production again, that's on YouTube. Make sure to check that out. We'll be back next time for another episode of Keeper of the Games. For Blake Cripps, for Weston Mills, I'm Tommy Castor. We'll see you next time. Take care, guys, and go Chiefs. You've been listening to Keeper of the Games with Tommy Castor, Weston Mills, and Blake Cripps. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and listen on all major podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and more. Visit our website at cogsports.com. Find the podcast and videos on Facebook and YouTube at Keeper of the Games. And follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at CogPod. That's K-O-G-Pod.